We are back with another episode of the Pray for Campus podcast where we help you connect with the most strategic demographic to finish the Great Commission, college students, through your prayers and through your finances and through just being genuinely informed and encouraged about the cool things that are happening on the college campus. My name is Patrick Keene and I'm here on the campus of Moorhead State. You can see, oh, other side, over here, the beautiful fall foliage here in Kentucky. This is like the best time to be around. Fall is my favorite season. And... Yeah, things are going really cool. I've been reflecting on what I wanted to share with you all today, and I think it's how everything is connected in in ministry, but then also like in your personal ministry, your personal life. We have to serve from an overflow of our walk with Jesus, whether that's like getting into the workplace or or parenting or being on the college campus, engaging college students. If I'm not having a personal devotional time, personal time with Jesus, then that's not the face that I'm going to be putting forward that's going to bring people into relationship with Jesus. Lately, I've been reflecting on what God's been doing in my own life and just aware that that He's in complete and utter control of it. It's one thing to have something happen externally that affects your life negatively in this instance, but it's another thing when you do something and you kind of you you cause your own issues in your life. And, and that happens often because we, we have a sinful heart. We have limited knowledge. We don't know what the future always holds. And and I wouldn't consider myself a perfectionist, but but I want things to go a certain way. I, when I think about the, the future as like a big vision person, I, I, I'm uniquely aware of what the future could be. And it puts a lot of pressure on my present, which that's something that the Lord's like revealing to me at this moment. So as I was reading this book, Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, it's a modern day classic, and he's speaking about God's mercy. Mercy is God's forgiveness, and it's the very attribute of God, as he explains throughout the course of this book, is it's most natural for God to show humanity. Judgment is something that we see all through Scripture, and it's something that's a part of who Jesus is, but, but he calls it Another theologian calls it his unnatural work because his natural work is to be merciful. So that was really good for me to hear. And then Dane Ortland puts it this way. Perhaps you have a difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of what others have done to you, but because what you have done to torpedo your life, maybe through one big stupid decision or maybe through 10,000 little ones. You have squandered his mercy and you know it. So, so far, that's me. I get that. To you I say... Do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. So in my own personal walk, I'm realizing God is continually pouring out his mercy on me, even in my own mistakes, my own shortcomings. And it just reminds me of that verse in Psalms, when when we are faithless, he is faithful. So he's remained faithful to me. So as I was preparing for my crew talk to college students, I I, I was like, how do I convey this idea of, of God's mercy being always at the door, always being pressing forward? When we're faithless, He's faithful. So I was, as I was thinking through what I wanted to share with these students, it, it was this idea of pursuit, this idea of it's it's not a performance. We can't ever be good enough for God, but He's His natural bend is to be pursuing us. And I, I decided the, the passage that I wanted to break down was Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. There's three great parables right there. The, the the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost son. And I only had 20 minutes, so I focused specifically on the story of the lost son. And let's just take a second to work through this, because I think this would be good for you to hear too. I'm reading the NIV version. Jesus continued, 
There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this state. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have had food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out to go back to my father and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So that's only part of the story. You know, for those of you who read, there's another part of the story about the, the older son. But I focused specifically on the younger son here when I was speaking with these students. And, you know, let, let's just take a second to break it down. You're, you're driving, you're, you're doing whatever you're doing. Just, just bear with me for a bit. So the son comes up and asks the father for an early inheritance. Now that should already like throw off some like spotty senses here because an, an early inheritance doesn't actually exist because an inheritance comes after the person dies. So the idea is the son was, was saying, dad, you're as good as dead to me. He, he, he did not want anything to do with his dad. He said, give me what's rightfully mine, which I mean, was it rightfully his? I don't know the Jewish custom there. But the father obliged for whatever reason. He obliged. He gave him his part of the inheritance. So the son moves to a distant land and he, he goes about wild living. So the wild living turns into him having very little money and then a famine hit. And that just was the nail in the coffin where he was he was completely desolate. Now, I kind of break those down into two things. One at one level, the wild living is the son's fault. It's it's actions that he did that put him in the situation that he was in. But then the famine, he didn't control the famine. He just happened to be living at a certain time in history where the famine happened. Sometimes there's things that we can control in regards to how we live our life, but then there's some things that are out of our control that are just just happened to us. Both these things play a role in where we're at. So he finds himself taking on a job working with the pigs. Now, if you're a Jewish listener at the time, this is a parable. Jesus is telling this story to Jewish people. Your heart should recoil into your chest. The idea that a Jewish boy would be working with pigs, nasty pigs that weren't even allowed to touch the pigs. And not only that, but he looked at the pigs and he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. So this was an incredibly low point. Now, you can all, I, I can see myself being in Jesus' presence at that time. Hearing this story, my understanding of the world is, is you reap what you sow, you get what you pay for, and you get to this point and you're like, he disgraced his dad. He disrespected his dad. He ran away from his dad. He squandered his dad's money. Yeah, this is, you, you reap what you sow. When, when, when you do terrible things like you did, you find yourself in terrible situations. The story could have ended and people would have been like, yeah, that's kind of my worldview. Like, I get that. 
But Jesus actually goes a step further. It, it says in, in my NIV translation that the son came to his senses. He came to his senses and he thought, man, the workers for my father have it better than me. There's no way that he's going to let me back in for a son, but maybe, just maybe, he'll let me back in as a hired hand. So he was in a distant country, and he had a distant walk back to his home. And you can imagine, I want you to put yourself in this situation. You clean the mud off your, your shirt, out of your hair. You start walking, and you start rehearsing what you're going to say to your dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Take a couple steps. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Take a couple steps. You, you, you chant this again. This is drilled into your brain at this point. So when you top the hill, you see your dad's house. And that's when the pit hits your stomach because you're like, things are about to get real. I'm going to have to confront my dad about my own sin. And I'm going to ask to be his hired hand. You go through it again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your hired men. And then a weird thing happens. There's a commotion on the front porch. The door swings open. A figure comes running out. As it gets closer to you, you realize that that's your dad. Your dad is running out to you. And as he runs out to you, you see his bald head, you see his beard. Actually, the, the thing that you notice the most is his thighs. That, that, that's weird to say that, but, but old men at that time didn't run. They, they just didn't. It was a disrespectful thing to do. So when they had their robes on, they would pull their robe between their legs and, and gird themselves in such a way that their whole legs would show. And that was like a childish thing to do. So you've never seen your dad run like this and now he's running out to you and, and finally he gets close enough and, bef- and before he hugs you you say father i've sin- sinned against heaven and against you but before you can get out the whole statement he throws his arms around you he looks to his workers and he says quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is now alive again who's lost and is now found. So I, I don't think that the dad coincidentally looked out the window when the son was walking back. I think that dad was feverishly scanning the horizon, waiting for his son to return. I don't think it's a coincidence that the son asked for an early inheritance, essentially, Father, you're dead to me. And the father responds at the end of this story. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. This is a death to life story. This is a resurrection story. I, I think God, so I say God. There's obvious symbolism here that the Father represents the eternal God, Yahweh, Jesus. Jesus is always pursuing his people. This is, this is not something where you have to go get your life right. You need six months of purity, six months of sobriety to like come to God. He's like in constant pursuit of you. Just like Dane Ortland said in the book, when you squander God's mercy, he gives out more mercy because he is rich in mercy. That's who he is. And I, I think it's this idea that like when you feel like you're walking away from God and you've got to turn around and walk back, you don't got to walk back far because he's always pursuing you right behind you. And... That was something I really wanted my students to hear because my, I, I actually do believe this. I, I don't think there is anyone on campus 
that wants them to walk with Jesus more than me. I don't think uh, th- that's like the reason that I'm here is to help these students walk with Jesus. So understanding an attribute of who he is, I think is incredibly important. And, you know, so I was working through what God was doing in my own life. That's what I wanted to share with these students. But then the very next day I had the opportunity by the power of the Spirit to share this with another student in a one-on-one evangelism conversation. This is kind of an interesting story. So my wife and I live close to campus. By God's grace, we have a have a house that has a accessory unit on the back. We kind of house hack that thing into an Airbnb. And periodically people stay there that are connected with the athletic department. So this grandma, grandma and grandpa came in to watch their their daughter play a sport. I didn't get permission for this story, so I'm gonna keep it pretty vague. And and as I was conversing with them a few months ago, I told them what I do, and they're like, oh, you should reach out to my daughter. Like, we'd love to for you to have a, a conversation with her. We have Athletes in Action on our campus, so that'd be a great place for her to get plugged into, but a few days went by, and she even texted me again and was like, hey, did you reach out to so-and-so? And let's just call her Kayla. Yeah, did you reach out to Kayla? And I was like, oh, no, I'll do it right now. Just for the sake of this grandma that loves and is praying for her daughter, I'll, I'll reach out to this girl, Kayla. I did. We set up a meeting. She was a great girl to talk to. She is one of the few people from her town here, so she's feeling some sort of isolation. And, and she's been going to church down the street, better life. She's been going to the college night, kind of being, being acquainted to the gospel. Her grandparents are believers, but she didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. And I think from what I have been told about her, she's like a young believer. But as I started to sift through some things in her life, I was like, maybe she trusted Jesus, maybe she didn't. I always ask students, what's the percent chance that if you were to die that you'd go to heaven? And she said 35%. I asked her why, and it was kind of like, I try to be a good person. It, it was, it was kind of like, I trust God to do what he wants to do with me. So I shared the gospel in the way I normally do, and you know, explain that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Explain Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That the only way that you can have a relationship with God is by putting your trust in Jesus. So the way I describe that is like sitting in a chair. Like I'm sitting in a chair now. Like I believe it's a chair, and I believe it so much that I'm letting the weight off my legs to sit here in this chair. So I shared the gospel with her, and ask her, I was like, hey, I don't want to talk you into saying 100%. But like when you hear that Jesus takes it all, when you say, when you hear that Jesus is the ticket to having a relationship with Jesus, what percentage are you at now? And me kind of thinking like, okay, she's probably going to say 100% at this point. She still said, okay, that helps a little bit, but I'm actually at 75%. I was like, okay, that tells me that there's, there's a performance mentality here and we see it a lot with athletes we see it a lot with, with students we see a lot of people in general this idea that yeah Jesus is good and he and he's pursuing me and and he is the way the truth and the life but I still have to like do my part right like that's part of what I have to do I have to go to church I have to stop cussing I have to try to read my bible the fact that I'm not reading my bible great right now means that I probably can't say I'm 100% certain that I would go to heaven and when she said 75% I I always try to like get like to a blunt truth with these students because essentially what you're saying, if, if, if you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus and that you're only 75% cer- certain that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, what you're actually saying is that you are 75% certain that Jesus is good enough to save you. 
Think about that. 75% certain that the, that the God of the universe is capable of doing something. I, I would say that he's capable of doing whatever he wants. He, he is God. So if someone were to ask me that question, I'm 100% sewed up just solely because Jesus is who he says he is. But I could see for her that, that it was that performance mentality. And having just went through the story of the prodigal son, I just pulled out Luke 15. Everything I just shared with you guys, I shared with her this idea that he's pursuing her. So if you have any connection with crew, you've probably seen the two circles. I, I didn't have the Knowing God Personally booklet with me. So I drew the two circles where the circle on the left has has Christ outside the life and self on the throne of your life. And then the other circle has Christ on the throne and self kneeling to the throne. And I said, listen, Kayla, I don't know you that well. Maybe you're the circle on the right. Maybe maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but but you just are learning how to like walk with him. You're not confident in that relationship. Maybe you're the circle on the left and you've never really put your faith in Jesus. And I was like, what do you think is most true of your life? And she looked at me and, and it was hesitant and she just pointed at the circle on the left. She goes, I don't think I've ever really trusted Jesus the way you've described Jesus. I told her, I don't think there's a prayer that saves you, but I think if you really put your faith in Jesus, you could do that today. And we could, say, we could pray to Jesus and ask him to, to get on the throne of, of your life to make him the person that you want, he wants you to be. And she said yes. And that was like really cool for me to be able to walk her through that. And it seemed so genuine. And she was so excited about starting this journey to be at 100%. She got up from that chair 100% certain that she was a follower of Jesus. I, I was able to connect her with what Rich and Becky Duffield are doing with Athletes in Action on her sports team. There are several students that are actually getting together for a Bible study and trying to walk with Jesus. And it's this idea that, you know, she's not from Kentucky. She's from very far away. And, and it's like God has pursued her all over the world to this point, to this, this chair in Starbucks where in the power of the Spirit I can talk to her about who Jesus is. And that's a, that's a really cool aspect of my job. Um, it's a really cool aspect of this partnership because as you watch this, as, as you pray for what goes on on campus, you're praying for people like Kayla, you're praying for people uh, like who come to crew in our weekly meeting, you're praying for me because honestly, like I started this podcast out of this selfish, um, selfish ambition of like, I want more people praying for me. I feel like if people pray for my campus, pray for my ministry, that, that more cool things will happen. So it's, it's a fun time to be on Moorhead State's campus. It's a fun time to be in college ministry. So t- tune in for another episode here in a few weeks as we continue to see what the Lord's doing. I mean, he's continuing to pour out his blessing on blessing on blessing on our ministry. So I'll take a second to pray for us. And actually, uh, I know I'm guilty of this. When a pastor or, or a podcaster starts praying, I just go ahead and turn it off. But I, I don't want you to turn it off. I've been, I, I want you to pray with me, even if it's just praying my words back to God. God, thank you so much for this opportunity just to share the cool things that you're doing on campus. God, you are such an active God. You're, you're pursuing, you're searching out. You are finding these students in every nook and cranny of campus. You're finding people to give you glory through every nook and cranny of Kentucky, of this country, and around the world. God, I pray that you bring your kingdom all over the world. Finish the Great Commission. Lord, fill us with your spirit as we live our lives. As the person listening to this, I pray that you fill them with your spirit in a way that, that they can be a better parent, a better coworker, a better boss, and ultimately point people to you, Lord. I love you. In your name we pray. Amen.